Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 277 on Tuesday the 24th of September 2019. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week where we are only quietly humming happy birthday to ourselves for fear of royalty claims, we'll be talking about how our thoughts on vanity may be misplaced. We'll also discuss how the most secure job in the motoring world right now is being a lawyer, and we find out how you too can be a star in a reasonably priced car. But first, as has been our our fellow companion on our four years of existence, Dieselgate is back. And it is the news that CEO Dice, Chairman Posh, and former CEO Wintercorn are going to face criminal charges in relation to market manipulation thanks to Dieselgate because it is alleged they failed to inform the investors early enough about how deep a problem they were in because of the diesel emission scandal. Oh, this has been bubbling away for quite a while now. We've there's been at least two two different areas of Germany that have been looking into this particular aspect of it because of course Volkswagen did not or the Volkswagen group did not contravene any legislation in the EU by having the defeat devices fitted in Europe at the time. <laughs> That's changed slightly now as maybe one of our future uh, articles we'll cover but they were looked at for uh, messing about with people with lots of money now having less of lots of money thanks to this and and people with lots of money do tend to get quite upset about that kind of thing happening Uh, yes i know it's picky of them i believe but uh yeah (laughs) right Let's move on to the next one. Yes, let's tell us about someone else who used to have lots of money and now has slightly less money, and that's about to be uh, Daimler, who are going to be fined $960 million in Germany over dieselgate violations. Uh, Prosecutors have found that the automaker sold about 684,000 vehicles that were not completely compliant with the regulation on emission of nitrous oxides. Uh, according to a statement from authorities in Stuttgart. There we go. So this is relatively new. This only came out this afternoon, Uh, so we shall see what's happening. Uh, Stuttgart prosecutors are saying that the Daimler fine has no impact on an ongoing investigation into individuals in relation to suspected manipulation of diesel engine software. Mm. Other stuff still happening in the background. Yep. Our other big story uh, for follow-up at the moment uh, is Gonegate. And now, uh, in another move by, I would suspect, the prosecution for us to get hold of this information, we are told how Gone has allegedly hid $140 million in compensation from Nissan. This is to do with the Securities and Exchange Commission, actually, and Nissan and Carlos Gone. There is a settlement that has been reached which... That meant that uh, they they disclosed what happened to cause the SEC to investigate because it's alleging 140 million dollars was paid to Gone and was not disclosed publicly, which is a big no no because obviously senior executives of large companies have to have their pay fully disclosed, which is why we hear the stories that we hear in the papers at the minute, particularly to do with say for example Thomas Cook, and we found the alleged uh-huh. payment to their executives. So to not do this is contravening the rules, and I'm not sure if that's laws or whatever, but it's, it's definitely the rules of it. It's. I find it strange that we're getting so much detail about what Gone has allegedly done. It may be to, to do with the fact that to distract people 
uh, from the fact that, of course, Nissan has a new chairman at the moment because of, of similar, mm. similar issues and similar challenges and, and him being, being maybe, um, Getting far too much, far more pay than he should have done is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, so we'll we'll have to watch that one and see how that pans out because that's an awful lot of money, 140 million. Now, what I what I haven't been able to find out, I haven't been able to find out if that's in total over the whole period. I mean, it's still quite a lot of money uh, over the whole period that he was chairman for, or if it was per year. I missed that. I I didn't. I couldn't pick that one out. Yeah, it's it's not clear whether that's the that this is the full sum total of what he's going to be done for, or whether it is. You no, know, that's that many times. <laughs> because whenever you give it as one number, then people kind of assume that's that's part of that's annually. Yeah, right. Do you want to do some good follow up? Uh, I think it's good follow up. Ineos has confirmed the factory in Bridgend for the Grenadier Four Before. Uh, we talked about this last week. It turns out the, the FT story was actually ahead of the. Um, embargo the, the publishing time that the the press embargo i'm not doing i'm sorry i've spoken for six and a half hours almost non-stop today so my brain is complete mush tonight don't worry mine's not much better so you know let's <laughs> sorry alan we'll stumble through it together as we have for four years don't worry <laughs> no one will notice it'll be fine keep filling in the words i miss out <sighs> uh, anyway so they're expecting whenever Whenever things are up to steam, they're expecting 500 new jobs created in Bridgend, or replacement jobs, as we may well say. They intend on building 25,000 cars per year uh, once the production ramp-up has taken place. They're expecting that ramp-up to start in 2021. So there is going to be a bit of a gap here. Nobody's really saying what the entry price is. They're saying that it's unlikely... Yeah, people from Ineos, even uh, commercial director Mark Tennant, quoted here in this autocar article, confirming that that it's unlikely that it's going to be in the low twenties, low twenty thousands, like the previous Defender. <coughs> sorry, like the Land Rover Defender that Sir Jim Ratcliffe is so keen on at <laughs> cost at one point. Um, I think that that should be safe. It's probably going to be just around about thirty thousand pounds. We'll see what happens. As I say, twenty five thousand a year. Uh, they're looking to buy in a diesel or petrol versions of three-liter BMW straight six engines, uh, linked up to an automatic gearbox and only auto, no manuals in there, and that the suspension will be non-independent coil sprung live axles. Well, at least we can be glad it's going to be coil springs and not leaf springs. The idea being that it's going to be can be there for durability purposes. It's body-on-frame chassis that should mean it's very adaptable. And that may well actually give it an audience that includes commercial applications as well, mm. which, to be honest, would make sense because I guess the first person that the first organisations that Sir Jim Ratcliffe would want uh, uh, would want to be using it for commercial applications are going to be the rest of Ineos, uh, which would make sense. But yes, we'll see what's going to happen. Uh, Hopefully, it, this is positive. Hopefully, uh, as I was chatting with someone over the weekend, I, I really hope that it's going to be real. I really hope it's not a vanity project. I really hope that it doesn't. It 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 isn't something that gets bored of or uh, is put on the back burner or doesn't fulfil the promise they are outlining. Because otherwise, they will be taking away the the poor people of Bridgend will be getting another kick in, which they don't deserve. The very last line of the of the press release, did point out that it wasn't a, a vanity project, by the way. Mm. 
I also wasn't going to be the first person to mention that. That's all right. I'll do it for you. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. So more new vehicle news of the almost of the pickup variety. Yep. Amazon have announced that they are going to have uh, an EV van from Rivian. Rivian. Rivian, I think it is, isn't it? Yeah, Rivian. Who will allegedly provide 100,000 electric vehicles. Hang, hang on a minute, Captain Allegedly here. Don't forget that Amazon is a major investor in Rivian, as, are, as is Ford. Mm. So this one, I will be very incredibly super amazed if this doesn't happen. This is a vehicle that exists nowhere yet, though, is my point. <laughs> I was going to say 100,000, by 2024 is what I was going to say allegedly on. I fully expect if they can get this to work, this technology, this technology to work, and it and it can carry the payloads they want it to. Amazon will buy as many as they can make because Amazon wants to control the distribution of its own stuff, so it doesn't pay anyone else for that. I get it makes perfect sense. But it's also in Amazon's interest, as in as major investors in the company. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I understand that. So it's, they're not just a customer. This is them saying we are going to essentially build ourselves, and and this isn't drone. This isn't sort of drone delivery and stuff. Not mentioning drones again. It's, we did it's too real much of that delivery. Last yeah, week. well, they weren't weaponized yet, uh, but it's real. <laughs> That's in another special wing of Amazon. <laughs> this is real. This is real yeah. delivery. That's really going to happen and happens now. So I, again, I hope so because we do need electrified options when it comes to small commercial vehicles you know like sorry light commercial vehicles and it, and if it can be done mm-hmm. in a manner that means that we don't have you know lots of diesel vehicles in towns delivering you know, our packages and all the rest of it then that can only be a good thing for for many reasons it's true by the way just as you mentioned that then then we should find i'm assuming it's not embargoed uh, there should be lots of stories about plug-in hybrid transits coming to to automotive websites in the UK relatively soon as well uh, because people have been okay. playing with those in Sweden uh, at the minute. So just so you know that whilst we're talking about pure electric vehicles here, the, the ones that we, we know love and are, are ubiquitous uh, are also changing uh, at exactly the same time. Mm-hmm. Have I gone way off topic for that story now? No, no, that's okay because you know that is going to be the first step for so many of us to mm-hmm. see in a, is be electrified vehicles that that also ha, you know that are hybrids because that's the reality of the capability at the minute at a price that can be bought. Oh, you see, you're using phrases like reality of capability, and I've already said about NAF training today. <laughs> Come on, then tell us tell us how it's a bit of a grim outlook at the moment when it comes to. Uh, Sales. This is a classic Andrew story to, to add to the list. It's that UK dealer group Pendragon. Now, you might not have heard of Pendragon. You probably have heard of Evans Holshaw or Stratston. Uh, you might not have heard of Quitco and Carstore, though. But it is the company that owns all of those brands. So it is one of the big, big dealer groups, if not the biggest. Mm. It doesn't say it's the biggest in this Auto News Europe. Article, so it might not be, but they are. They have declared they're not giving a, a dividend this year uh, to shareholders, uh, and they're saying that the outlook is not awesome. Like its rival, Lucas, who issued a profit warning in July, Pendragon is saying the second half is going to be tricky. They're saying that they've got a pre-tax loss of thirty-two point two million pounds for the first half, 
compared to a profit of 28.4 by the same point last year. Uh, That means that the shares fell 13% to the lowest that they've been uh, in about seven and a half years. And it's their uh, stocks have lost more than half their value so far this year. The car store, for example, is one of the most, is one of the parts making the biggest loss. Uh, So they're going to be closing 22 of its 34 store locations uh, in the second half of the year, leading to 300 job cuts. Not exactly a laugh a minute on that particular story. Yeah. So um, Pendragon, by the way, Europe's third largest dealer group by revenue. Because because the interesting thing about this for me is is this a lot of this is secondhand stuff as well, and we've talked monthly about how the new car registration market is is uh, is not great. Oh. So to see that that is knocking on into secondhand as well implies that there are bigger national um financial worries from from the public well it's uh, the question then is well how much is how much is second hand and how much is uh previously registered yeah well there's that as well as well especially when you hit the sort of car supermarkets and the 20 miles as good as new or 100 mile cars uh, in there that have already been registered so that's where you've got to I think that that may be part of it, and and, and I think that they maybe don't have that newer stock because people are registered. You know, the, as the registrations go down, then you can't really keep on pre-registering, pre-registering, pre-registering. So yeah, <clears throat> not amazing. So Andrew, what's next? Uh, well, this is the news that Labour have made quite a few pledges during their conference. Can, can I ding a political bell here? Yes, ding the political bell. And point out that it is conference season. Conference season, and here in the UK, lots of the parties have their conferences at the same time. Uh, thanks to the unique and special uh, political climate we find ourselves in, there is the possibility that there might be a general election called at some point soon. So there is a lot of call for potential policies and proposals that might be very popular with the public. Please excuse the alliteration in there. It was pathetic. (laughs) But so just watch out for some of these stories at the minute. And this one is one where there is a little sort of little warning bell going in the back of my mind that this might never, ever see the light of day. Uh, It is a political proposal from people who are who are bent on 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 making them who are not in power uh, at the moment and who may yet change their mind when they need a manifesto uh, because there is a possibility that they could probably partake of power i couldn't think of another p that to alliterate there <laughs> yeah sorry i will now let you continue now that i have set some boundaries for our under 20% of listeners who are outside the uk Labour's ideas that may or may not be good or bad or even in the middle are to do with to do with the vehicle side of things. They've they've announced that they want to remove a three hundred and twenty pound VED surcharge for electric vehicles over forty grand. So that's the that's the jealousy tax. I actually think that's a good idea. Want to well the stuff they've announced, some of it on on, on the motoring side of things, some of it actually makes a lot of sense. We can we're not going to discuss whether it's realistic or not that's not we're just stating what they've stated so they make sense from a 
from an idea to have and to help further things like EV adoption. Some of them do. Well, yes, but remember that part of it, if you do so, if if these loans happen, in order to qualify them, uh, in order to qualify for them, you will have to sign up to a mass trial of vehicle-to-grid technology. And right at the moment, mm. the only vehicles that you can do that with are Nissans, aren't they? Yes, I think so. Which also falls in line with the fact that they were saying that it would be for British-built EVs to be sold in Britain and lots of that stuff, which means there are going to be an awful lot more Nissan Leaf around the, around the place. Is the general outcome of this. I'm sure that BMW have talked about that capability as well, but they don't have a mass market electric vehicle. And I don't know whether they actually have that technology yet as well. Like you say, it's going to, well, Sunderland's going to be very busy if this, if they come into power and, and do this. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. There are some initiatives. So it, somebody has at least thought about it and come up with some suggestions on how they can push forward for uh, – because they want fleets to be all electric Mm -hmm. by 2025, which is obviously much quicker than the uh, current government's last statement on this for the Go Zero or whatever it was. that. uh, It's Road to Zero, I believe it's called. Yeah, Road to Zero, that's all right. Uh, If you want to know more, look through the company car today that was forwarded on to me by a friend of the show, Daniel Puddicombe, which is very kind of him because it was rather than have to go through the many separate pledges that were announced and separate occasions and all had a press release, there's one nice little article that's got all the important info in it. (laughs) Yeah, it was actually, it's a goodie actually because it is point, 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 point. It's, It's great. Next up, catalytic converter thefts. They are on the rise. Supposedly, in the first six months of 2019, 2,894 catalytic converters were pinched in London, as opposed to 1,674 catalytic converters in London for the whole of 2018. So this is, and it's so it's becoming something of an issue. And the reason for this is that in the last 18 months or so, the commodity prices of some of the precious metals has just gone absolutely crazy. So palladium at the minute, according to BBC, is worth £1,300 per ounce. Earth still uses ounces. Rhodium is £4,000 per ounce. Obviously, specialist metal merchants do, is is the actual answer to 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 my question there. Uh, so these are humongous amounts, amounts of money. And of course, there are very small amounts uh, in catalytic converters, or both of these in catalytic converters. And it doesn't really need much more than about half an ounce, or possibly less than that, to make it uh, quite viable to, to, cut, to cut catalytic converters out of vehicles. So, of course, it makes sense that the catalytic converter that you want uh, if you are the kind of nefarious person who would rather just pinch someone else's catalytic converter, uh, is one that has barely been used. So basically the thefts from from some of the Japanese brands, and specifically the hybrid models from some of the, the Japanese brands, is are particularly high. I mean, the Toyota Prius is, is both pretty much ubiquitous in the round to capital, and of course, it doesn't, being a hybrid electric vehicle, it's not constantly using the catalytic converter so that there's much less uh, suspended in it. 
it, it's just a rate pain. Uh, any proper legal scrap metal merchant obviously won't shouldn't just be taking in catalytic converters without asking quite a few questions about where it's come from. Uh, but we all know that the scrap metal industry is it can be a little bit on the dubious side at times to cite attempts to clean it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Toyota is actually discounting for some of his mod- its models the catlock device. Uh, which it seems is a device that you put on the bottom of your car and it makes it significantly harder to remove a catalytic converter. I think it's like a crook lock, but for underneath the car. Uh, I don't really know how that's going to work, but hopefully it does. But yeah, they seem to be being hardest hit on this one. So yes, do watch out if you have a hybrid electric vehicle and you are in that there London where things can get dodgy, uh, do be careful. Mm. But Andrew, you've got some sad news next uh, about the former head of British Leyland, uh, Sir Michael Edwards. Yes, unfortunately he's died at the age of 88, but he was, uh, if people will remember, he was at the helm of British Leyland as the uh, obituary from uh, Keith Adams goes into great detail, uh, is is an excellent read and it will be linked in the show notes. But uh, he stood up against the against the trade unions when that was presumed impossible and he nearly it it can be argued he nearly turned the company around uh, at a time when mm-hmm. again we as a country seem to do everything in our powers to make that <laughs> impossible yeah not an easy not an easy thing with with British Leyland uh, he also uh, whilst he de- wasn't still in charge by the time that the deal came through he also uh, started and put in place the deal with Honda, uh, which in turn turn led to that link up to in in the start of the Austin Rover, the Austin Rover years. So uh, mm. and that start of privatization. So yeah, he is uh, probably if it wasn't for him, I was going to say if it wasn't for him, then then Austin Rover wouldn't be around now. But uh, it um it isn't. But he he definitely uh, kept it going for for significantly longer, uh, much to Margaret Thatcher's uh, disgust, because she felt that he held up the privatisation of um, of Austin Rover and British on British Leyland. So, yeah, key key player in the British car industry in the late nineteen seventies, early nineteen eighties, and uh, his passing got got pretty much passed over uh, the other day in, in all the news and really wasn't picked up by the mainstream press. Keith Adams' obituary there is, is an excellent read. Which brings us to uh, what we're having this week is a say thank you minute. <laughs> so rather than try and guilt you into funding us by any of the normal ways that you're all familiar with, we just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you to everyone. Uh, for your support over the last four years. So, yes, thank you, obviously, to all of our patrons. Thanks to everyone who listens, everyone who contributes articles, both by writing them yes. and also <laughs> by sometimes quite blatantly going, look at this article, everyone. And, yes, which is, is because we are slightly lazy, they tend to end up in the, in the show. Thank you to the manufacturers and the PRs and uh, everyone in, in that area for supporting us inviting us to things loaning loaning us vehicles uh listening to us and uh, just about everything <laughs> everything along those lines who else thanks to some of the trade groups uh people like the guild of motoring writers yeah uh, thank you so much for the awards a little while ago and thanks to the society of Man- motor manufacturers and traders not just for publishing the registration figures every month <laughs> 
which has become a thing and a thing that I'm very proud of actually. Yeah, and the spreadsheet of doom. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that we're directly responsible for some of the recent changes to that or not. Uh, but uh, but yes, thank you so much. Andrew was at the SMMT North Day uh, today. Uh, and of course, the, the event in May at Millbrook is, is a fantastic chance for those of us who don't work for the large publications to make ourselves known in person to, to some of the, the, the folk within the industry. Who have I forgotten, Andrew? Thanks to Mrs. Windscreen for letting Andrew out to play. It really is appreciated. Mm-hmm. No, no, I, I totally agree with you and uh, endorse everything you've said because uh, we, we've said this before, but we started this and didn't know if anyone was ever going to listen. Uh, and that wasn't the main aim of doing it. Uh, to be honest, uh, it has risen slightly up the order of priorities now that we do have people who listen. <laughs> Quite a lot of people who listen now, <laughs> which yes. which is uh, it's very it's very humbling actually. Oh, he's going to go just, all soggy I'm, on I'm not going to get now. gushy. Don't worry. No, I'm not. You are I'm getting not. gushy. I'm not. Don't worry. No, it is it is quite humbling because we we try to to do a, a decent job of what we're we're doing here, and it's it's really nice to see the positive reaction we get from from everybody who does listen. Um, whether you abuse us on Twitter in a jokey way, or whether it's a DM, or whether it's a phone call or an email, uh, but it is it is all appreciated that you do listen and you do pay attention and you do let us know the stuff you do like and you let us know when you think we're going off target. So thank you very much, everybody. But the, the most important thing for me to say is is to thank Alan for putting up with me for four years now, uh, still still going strong, although. <laughs> Technology is not don't, helping don't us. Don't make in me have to be nice months. to you. No, no, I'm not. No, of course not. Don't make me be nice to you because well, to be people perfectly think honest, you if I was doing this on, <laughs> well, if I was doing this on my own, it would never happen. And you know how often you nudge me to actually do stuff. Yeah, it, it goes without saying. And the fact that you can always tell the difference between when I've edited the show and when Andrew's edited the show is something to do with thoroughness <laughs> uh, in there. So no, it, it 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 wouldn't happen without Andrew. Um, probably more so than. It's probably more fundamental than the it wouldn't happen without Alan. So, uh, so yes, thank you. Right, I don't want to be nice to him. Oh, oh, I feel soiled now. Right, come on, t- tell us about Formula E anyway. Yeah, let's move on to Formula E. Whew, that's far safer ground rather than being nice to people. Yeah, some changes to the Formula E calendar will come as a surprise to nearly nobody. Every year, Formula E publishes their calendar. Every year, Formula E tweets their calendar. This year, they have announced a new race to take place in Jakarta in Indonesia. It's going to be held on June 6th, and it will be the final event of a second Asian leg in the 2019-2020 calendar, uh, which they're expecting to have uh, approved and ratified by the FIA on the 4th of October. In other words, it could still change before the 4th of October, everyone. So Seoul and Jakarta will slot in uh, and break up the European phase. Berlin has been moved. And New York has also been moved to allow for these changes. Yep. That's pretty much it. So it's 20th of June for Templehof in Berlin and 11th of July for New York. Believed to be the favoured slots for the season finale in London for the final weekend in July. And when I was at uh, XL recently, there, were ma- there was a massive, massive poster uh, up um, for you know publicising the Formula E and the event dates as well. Which should be cool. I shall try to make sure I am there for that. Another small piece of news, well, relatively small piece of news, 
is that Nico Muller is joining Geox Dragon Team uh, alongside Brendan Hartley for 2019-2020. He was formerly test and reserve driver for Audi Abd Schaeffler. He's been fastest rookie two years in a row, all sorts of stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, it's good to see him getting a proper full-time full-time seat. Mm. We shall see how that goes. Uh, don't forget, start of Formula E's doubleheader, Saudi Arabia, on November the 22nd. Yeah, have they had that confirmed, that it's, there's going to do a, uh, a nighttime race yet? Or are they still working on that? Uh, I've just closed the story. I can't remember. I haven't seen it confirmed anywhere, but I I don't know if I've just missed it, that's all. We might not know until the 4th of October, of course, and that ratified calendar. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think, actually, this time that the FIA calendar committee might meet up before ratifying a calendar? I think that's a ridiculous idea. I don't think you should be so stupid. Okay, sorry. I, I can dream. I, I, I realise I've got carried away with myself there, but, you know. <laughs> yes, what kind of craziness is that, man? <laughs> right then, let's move on to the lunchtime read. And this time it's from the website Driven to Write, which we have linked to in the past um, with uh, a few articles. But this time it's one from a very close friend of the show. <laughs> At this rate, is going to become a co- weekly contributor, Matteo Licata. <laughs> I'm not sure that we could cope with that, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> And that is, he's written an article about, uh, and as we know with Matteo, he is not backward and coming forward on his views about the current state of design in the motoring world. And the article is titled, The Problem with Design Academies. (laughs) So I encourage you all to go and have a read of Matteo's opinions on this. He makes some pretty valid cases. It's pretty uncompromising ways well i know that for, certainly from my the product design degree and product design engineering degree that i did there are two very different factions uh, when it comes to to designing stuff uh, on one hand you've got the okay we've got to make sure that this is going to work and that that's the most important part and on the other hand you've got the equivalence to what Matteo's doing here which is the oh, look at the lovely sketch, but don't care if it's actually going to be buildable uh, school. Mm. And of course, the of course, what you're really aiming for is that happy medium uh, somewhere in between. So we used to find that the product design, product design students at Glasgow School of Art would draw these wonderful things. Their renderings would be much better than ours, but we were never quite sure how you would make them. Whereas when you looked at ours, they weren't nearly as attractive uh, but you could normally work out how stuff was going to be made. We got in real trouble if stuff wasn't buildable and makeable. Yeah, well, I, I, when I worked in the architecture industry, uh, when you got the the early placement from the degrees of, of architecture and you'd see that they had spent their time, obviously, exploring the creative side of things, and then you go, right, yeah. now we're going to design a new whatever. <laughs> you go, the realities are... You need to worry about how does a door open? Yeah, but what do you mean the roof can't just float on four pillars of glass? So yes, I, I, I did see, uh, not necessarily dreams crushed, but reality hammering home to some people who had, because of the way that mm-hmm. the courses were designed, not been exposed to that in the past. But but this is a really good read, uh, and thoroughly encourage everybody to go and have a little look at that. And finally this week is that you could be the star in a reasonably priced car. The Vauxhall Astra that Top Gear used in 2013 is up for sale on 
Collecting Cars, uh, Collecting Cars website. Uh, so if you desire a 1.6-litre Vauxhall Astra Tech Line in red, but fitted with Corbo Sprint seats and five-point safety harnesses and a full roll cage, then this is your chance, folks. 22 famous people, well, celebrities anyway, have been in and have, have driven it. People such as, I actually do know a whole bunch of the summer car. Oh, he's a boxer, isn't he? Um, such as Oli Murs. Well, if that hasn't put you off, I don't know what will. Uh, Nicholas Holt, Aaron Paul, uh, Brian Johnson, Jimmy Carr, Hugh Jackman, David Hay, Warwick Davis, Margot Robbie. I can't remember what she looks like or who she is. Uh, will Smith. Yes, lots of people uh, have sat in this Corbo Sprint seat and, and driven this car. So if you do uh, have a desire to sit in the same place as Gillian Anderson has sat, this is your chance, guys. Um, it is There is a link on the Jalopnik story straight to the Collecting Cars uh, page. And far be it for me to pimp other people's podcasts. Theirs is really rather good. It is, annoyingly so. Yes. Uh, by the way, there's been two bids on it. The auction ends in 13 days, and it is £800 at the moment. So even by itself, that's a pretty decent bargain. You could probably barely buy the seats for 800 quid, to be perfectly fair, but perfectly frank. So, um, yes, lots of pictures, lots of details, lots of lap times uh, all in there. So this is a, a fantastic opportunity for someone uh, with some rather strange yearnings. <laughs> Parish notes. Part two of Mr. Niedermeyer's rear view will be out. That'll be out on Friday. Uh, first part has been has been really very popular, so that's fantastic news. There, don't forget the special edition that came out last Friday, the Peugeot three thousand and eight uh, review test. Call it what you will. Attempt to squeeze all the paraphernalia from a tiny baby into a Peugeot 3008 and how you could make it much easier than I did when I started out with it. Uh, but yeah, it, 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 it's it's quite a fun review, actually. I quite enjoyed it. Yep, that was a good one. And that's us for this week, unless I've forgotten something, Andrew. No. No? No. Brilliant. In which case, don't forget, folks, that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com the hub of all our activities. Yeah. Uh, remember our Patreon offer, available at motoringpodcast.com slash support. But most of all, thank you, thank you, thank you for getting us to four years of doing this the advanced hobby that we have. In the meantime, if you wish to power scorn on one or either of us, Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people want to give you a digital hug after what's been a long week for you and the continuing trials that we have with technology, what's the best way for them to do that? It's only Tuesday night, but trust me, by Thursday it will have been a long week. Twitter, as always, where I'm at AJP Bradley, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. As I say, we'll be back next week. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.